Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. This series that we're calling Comfort for the Troubled Heart is such a very important series because of what the Lord seems to be permitting to come into our lives here as fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. As I look back over this, you'll remember in John chapter 14, verse 1, Jesus says, Let not your heart be troubled. And we learn that the word trouble means like a raging sea. And those of you that live here in Hawaii, sometimes you can see how our sea rages, or at least as it splashes up against some of the rocks on the eastern side of the island. Those of you that have been around the blowhole, you can see that. And if you are listening and you're on the internet and you're in another place, you might think of a jacuzzi and all the water that's percolating in that jacuzzi bubbling up there. Well, that's our heart when it's troubled. It's not a calmness there. We're nervous. All this sound, we're shaking. And even that's a physical thing, but our troubled heart is sometimes even emotional that we go through. Well, in the context, if you take it from chapter 13, you're going to see that he was already speaking to the disciples and there are a lot of reasons their hearts would be troubled. One, we talked about how they could be very fearful about what's going to happen next if Jesus is really going to be gone in their mind. And then the failure that Peter was going to experience and knowing that he keeps failing again and again. And that might be a reason for him to be fearful and troubled. And then we learned about the confusion, about uncertainty. When all of this happens and who's in charge is now not going to be here, what's going to happen? So there's a great deal of confusion. And of course, the end of all of that is there's dis- disappointment that goes on. So whatever the reason that we might go through a troubled heart, I bet we could probably go back to any one of those reasons and find it in our own world and see how that happens. Little did I know that when I began this series that we would have so many people here in our fellowship that have been touched with tremendous amount of affliction and sorrow and how challenging that has been. And I'm just praying that this series has been a great encouragement to you as it has been for us. You know, as I look at our lives, I'm speaking now through this sermon mostly to those that know Christ as our Savior by faith alone. Because even if you know Christ as Savior, there'll be times that our hearts are troubled. That does not mean that it's sinful to have a troubled heart. It just means we have to deal with it appropriately. And if we don't, well, then that troubled heart begins to breed guilt and doubt and maybe even some anger and bitterness. And then we start trying to solve that bitter heart so many different ways that are unbiblical and we only complicate it. But God says there is a way for our heart to be calmed and he wants to deal with us. Then there are those that perhaps don't know the Lord right now and maybe it would be good for you to listen because at the end of this message especially, I'm going to bring it right back to you to let you know that no matter what you go through with this life, your heart doesn't have to be troubled. Now as I began to look at our life and if I look at the things that have happened to us, we could have a troubled heart because of finances, the lack thereof, fitness or family or foes or friends, you know, all of that could be it. But I think that there's something that happens to us that trumps all of that. As as challenging as those things are, and I do not want to minimize any of the reality of your pain of a troubled heart from those, I think that some of those things begin to drift into um, the distance when we go through something that is very near to us, which is called the loss of life. Now, if you are facing something with your health that you believe that there is an unknown reason for it, you haven't discovered it yet, and it seems to have some symptoms that might take you down the path that could terminate your life eventually, you start thinking about your own mortality and there's a little bit of that concern, that little bit of the troubled heart and as you get closer and you find out that 
you know what? There, there really is no um, cure for this. And you are at the last season of your life, no matter how young or old you are, and you know that it could come at any time. All of that other stuff, family and friends and foes, you want it to go and get together, but in reality, you're still concerned about where am I going to go when I die? What is my death door going to look like? What is on the other side? How can I be assured of this? And as a believer in Christ, you now are really rethinking all your theology to make sure that did what I believed back then, is it going to hold up right now? And the good news is for the majority of them, it does hold up emotionally, but it'll always hold up theologically if it's real. And then you have the other person who's not facing death, but that they are so intimately engaged in a loved one, and they know now that that loved one is at the season of their life at the end, and that they're going to die, that there's a troubled heart because we want to fix it, we want to lighten their load, we want to try to bring them comfort of some kind, and we can't, and we know that they are going through that path, and some medicines work, some medicine doesn't work, and so we're agitated about that and what's going to happen. So no matter what you're going through, I'm finding the older that I am, the more family members that, and the people that I know that I love so well, that they seem to be getting into that stage of life. And so perhaps the things that we've been te teaching you, you can then help counsel people that are going through those troubled times in their life, whatever they might be. Well, let me just go back one more time and talk about those who are nearing death. You'll find that most of the people that are nearing death that still have their faculties they would like to leave a legacy to the next generation. Now, the next generation hears such things as, oh, they want to leave money or property. And that's pretty normal to think because often we do pass that down. But at the same time, we want to leave a little bit of ourselves with that person, maybe something that we've learned that has been right and correct, good, righteous, helpful, that we would like to pass down to them. So again, it's not wrong to want to leave a legacy. And it's not wrong to leave money and property to people. In fact, you'll find that there are plenty of certified financial planners and attorneys and investment counselors that are out there to give you a myriad of opportunities and options that you might have. Again, that's biblical to provide for that next generation, those types of things. But even if you don't have a lot, the one thing we can leave is something of value, of truth, that we can give to that next generation. In Scripture, you're going to find that many of the patriarchs who knew they were going to die, God permitted them to know that, they left a blessing on the people that followed them, their family. You'll find that Moses left a blessing on the children of Israel, and that was inspired for what he wrote, and we have that today. When Joshua is ready to die, he then placed a blessing in a statement, something of spiritual value on the people to listen and to obey that would add value to their life before he died. So you could see it in Scripture. Now, the Lord is all about leaving legacies and inheritance because earlier on, um, not earlier on, later on, Peter was inspired by the Lord to tell us that if you have faith in the Lord, you have an inheritance waiting for you in heaven. So that's an eternal inheritance. But the Lord also says that you can have some of your legacy right now. And here's what it is. He says to these guys... You're going to have peace. So don't let your heart be troubled. So in a sense, maybe today, what you could be doing is, is reclining there with the Lord at the Last Supper, maybe kind of invisible but on the side, and you're listening to the words that he's telling them, and then you pick up those words for yourself as if you're one of the disciples. Now, it is a little different because these guys are actually going to face witnessing the death of Christ and then the resurrection. They're going to face the planting and the birth of the New Testament church. And they're going to be with all of that persecution. But whatever they're going through, the same peace that the Lord promised to them 
is the exact same peace that he promised and gives to each one of us, whatever the troubles of life may be. Now, since we have a lot of folks that are here today that weren't here periodically through the last four weeks, you're going to find an outline, and you're going to find all the main points with the verses. And so I'm going to just kind of count on you, on your own personal integrity and curiosity, that you'll go back over that Maybe go to our website, download all of those sermons. They're all free. We never charge for those. You can have them. If you want a CD, they'll get it for you. And kind of go back because one message is building on another message because we call it progressive revelation as the truth is now coming as it's unfolding from the Lord. But you'll have enough today to chew on that I really believe is kind of like the icing on the cake. It's like the bow on top of the present as we bring it to a close. And so I want you to be with us as we come to the very end of this, at least this teaching on comfort for the troubled heart. So now let's turn in our Bibles, if we will, to John chapter 14, and we're going to pick it up at verse 23 and verse 24. John chapter 14, verse 23 and 24. And here's what you would read. Jesus again answers and says to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. And there are a lot of interesting truths just in this one passage. One of the truths that I find very comforting to me is to know that when Jesus Christ is speaking, his words are the Father's words, and the Father's words are his words, which now tells me that if I reject Christ, I'm really rejecting God. That now eliminate a whole lot of religions and isms and spasms out there who want to believe in God but they reject Christ. If they believe in God and they reject Christ, they're rejecting the God of the Bible. At the same time, when I accept Christ, I'm accepting God. But if we accept God but we don't accept Christ, then we're not really accepting God either. They are all one of the same. That's an important truth there. The second important truth is this unique, again, blending together. If we love him and we love his word, then we will keep his word. So the real operative thing is not so much the keeping of the word, it's to get a checkup from the neck up to make sure that we are really, really loving the Lord. And if we authentically really love him, we will do what he wants us to do by keeping his commandments. So now again, ask yourself, how authentic is your love affair with the Lord? Now let me make this clear. It's not based on an emotional love and, ooh, I really love you, Lord, as much as it in your heart. Are you worshiping him? Are you granting to him all his worth-ship, everything that's worthy to him in him alone? And if you do and you believe that he is the only God, then will you listen and do his word? Now, there's a byproduct in this passage that I also found very interesting. It said, and we, God the Father, God the Son, and we will make our abode with you. Now, you notice how long I've been here, and I'd like to bring out the concept of the Trinity all throughout Scripture. It is often talked about, but it's not often taught. You will find, even again, the Trinity and the whole concept of the abiding aspect of the Trinity. Now, if you will, look, if you will, in the same passage for just a moment, and look in verse 17. It says, That is the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. But you know him because he, the Spirit, abides with you and will be in you. Of course, that's future. He will be in you in the future. The future now has occurred when the Holy Spirit came at the founding of the New Testament church in Acts. So now he is in us presently. So it talks about the Spirit abiding with us. If you will, go back down 
to verse 23. It says, and we, Jesus referring more specifically in context to God the Father and himself, we will come to him and make our abode with him. So now you have the Spirit, you have Jesus, and you have God making his abode with those who really love the Lord. This morning I spoke to a lady who beckoned me to come, and uh, I told her I was going to share this publicly, so I have her permission. I won't mention her name because I don't want to be that forward, especially since this is going on the radio. And she came over, and with tears in her eyes, she said, Oh, Pastor, would you pray for me? I'm going through a procedure this coming Wednesday. And I said, Of course I'll pray. I got on my knees, I held her hand, looked in her eyes, and I said, Let's pray right now. Words of encouragement, and we prayed. And I said, I want you to listen to this message because you're going to be in it. And here's what I'd like to say to all of you and to her now. Last week, we were teaching how that Scripture says the Lord will never leave us and never forsake us. If you remember last week's teaching, say, uh-huh. Okay, those of you that were awake. All right, never leave us. This is a little bit different, just a little bit. You have the never leaving. Here you have the word abiding with you. Now, how does this relate to her? We know that the Lord will never leave this sweet lady. But it also means not only will he not leave, he's not just like a guest who won't leave. Have you ever had someone like that, a guest who won't leave? I'll stop there. This says he will abide with us, which means he'll make his home with us. That means he's going to reside with us. That means he's with you forever, and he wants to be there. It's not just an obligation, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. It's like I am there, I'm abiding with you. I'm a part of you, what you're going through. And what makes it so beautiful is that this lady, whom I know, loves the Lord, and she will do whatever she can to know, to obey the Lord the best she can in the power of the Holy Spirit. So to that lady and to the rest of you that are listening, I want you to know the Lord is abiding with you. The whole Godhead is with you. That's why we worship Him. That's why no matter what we go through, you're not ever going to go through it, not only not alone, you're going to go through it with someone who is active in that presence with you through all of this, whatever it might be. And of course, there's a lot of byproducts to that. One is, I don't need what the world has to offer me. All I need is Jesus. And he says, I'm right there, and he will abide with you. So perhaps maybe some of us for that time of trials that we go through, maybe for a moment, get your eyes off of all of that junk that's happening around us for just a moment. Find a quiet place and remind yourself again that the Lord is with you. He either permitted this to come into your life or he prescribed it to come into your life. Remember the doctrine of who he is. God loves you unconditionally. So you're not, not being loved. He is more powerful than any adverse situation which comes your way. Doesn't mean he'll remove the situation. But he will be with you powerfully so you can be victorious in it. He is always good to you. Yes, you might hurt, but he'll never harm you. He is faithful to you because he said he would in Scripture and he's a God who cannot lie. Remember all of those truths regarding God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit who is abiding with you no matter what you go through now or what you might be called to go through in the future. Let's see what else the Lord has to say. He has this, this to say, and that is that he's going to remind us of these truths. Now, I believe this is so important because I believe that what's happening in this infinite knowledge, wisdom here, that all this stuff that Jesus was teaching them, 
there probably was a disciple. This is my opinion, Ponzism. There was probably a disciple or two that were saying to themselves, you've given us a lot of stuff here at the end of your life. You talked about communion, all that stuff in chapter 13 and chapter 12. All of this stuff while you were with us for three years. How in the world will we ever remember this? Have you ever been in a situation where you seem to have biblical information overload and you wonder, how in the world will I ever remember all of these things? I know that I have. And I know that I struggle sometimes. How will I remember all of this? That's where you get into the rest life on the promise of his word. And remember, we're talking a lot about the Holy Spirit. And here's what he says. Follow along with me, if you will. In verse 25, he says, These things have I spoken to you while abiding with you. But the, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to you remembrance all that I said to you. So you have the promise of the Lord actively involved in helping you. Now let me frame this, and I'm going to ask you really to lean into this with your best attention. In this particular context, he is primarily speaking specifically to those guys, those 11 guys. Now again, we're kind of observing this, and it's going to come to us through transition of time, but for right now, he is speaking to these guys. I want you to notice the tense. He says, these words that I have spoken to you. So all that they have watched and heard from Jesus the last approximate three years, he says that they will remember. He says, I'm speaking these words, if you want to mark it. These things that I have spoken while I was abiding with you. Then he says, but the Holy Spirit will help you, whom the Father will send in my name, and he will teach you all things. So what does that mean? All right, the Holy Spirit is present, but he's also going to be in them at the Pentecost time. So all that's happening, the Holy Spirit will be, will be within them. So you can imagine, three years of hearing everything. John later on wrote, he says, everything that Jesus did, there would be not enough books to be able to contain them all. So there's a lot of stuff that Jesus said and did that we couldn't hear all of it. But they heard it all. They knew what God had to say through Christ. And through that happening to them, the Holy Spirit would then bring things to their remembrance then and all the new things that he's going to be teaching them. Now, I need to pause for a moment, and I don't mean to go too deeply with you, but I want to explain the difference between what we call revelation, inspiration, and illumination. Why is that important? It is vitally important for you to know that when you're going through times of trouble that you can count upon a God who is not just an existential God, a feel-good God filled with a lot of music and a lot of self-talk. He is the omnipotent God who has chosen to communicate to us. Now, watch this. But he's chosen to communicate to us correctly for us to be able to understand this. That again is why that when you go through troubles, when you're starting to grab those type of influences, advice and counsel, as good as it might be, it needs to move farther beyond tea and sympathy by some people. And they need to be giving to you the real word of God. Not what sounds like the word of God, not what may be the word of God, not a lot about I love God, hate Satan kind of stuff but authentic, accurate teaching from God's Word. Now, how did that happen? Revelation is when God makes known that which is not known about Himself that He wants known. That's revelation. Now, He can choose to reveal Himself to us, and He has, through what we call nature. When you drive around certain parts of the island and that sun hits our beautiful blue water, we're immediately taken back by all the different colors of blue, the hue, the colors. When we go up into the forest, we see everything, all of that. 
And people say, I don't need church, I don't need the Bible, I just go out in God's creation, and that, that's how I see God. Well, you will to a certain degree, but he's chosen not to merely speak to us through his creation. The other is through his word. Now we get to the next word. That word is the word inspiration. God reveals to man that which is not known that he wants man to know. Inspiration is when God now breathes that truth into man, certain men, selected men, men called of God, holy men, and the ones he wanted to have that information to be the ones to be recipients of that revelation to us. Now that then comes in two ways. One is what we call verbal inspiration. Verbal inspiration means that all that these men had written down, all the words, all right, would be verbal. Now stay with me. I don't mean to go too deeply, but catch what I'm saying now. Here we go. You have what we call oral tradition. So that's what all that Jesus said the disciples are hearing. It moved from oral to written tradition, a written word. So you have all that information and that would be the verbal, written or audio, now reduced to writing. The next word is the word plenary. Don't worry about remembering that word. All that means is every word that God chose to have us know about himself through those people, those men, are now written in Scripture, which means every word of this Bible is inspired by God and is God's primary revelation to you and me. That also means that there are no new words because the canon is closed. There's no additional words, not you get a special word that's going to be different from what the Bible has to say. So again, he cautions us to not listen to everyone that says, I have a message from God for you. I have a word from the Lord for you. If it doesn't agree with this scripture, then it has not been revealed. It has not been verbally given through the word. It has not been plenary, all the words. It's an addition to this. All that God wanted us to have is here. This is inspired. It's preserved, free from error. Now remember, there are three words. Revealed, and then you have the word inspired. The next word is the word illumination. And that's another big word, but that is the vehicle by which, watch this, that the Lord unlocks the minds of you and me to give us the ability to begin understanding this word, the Bible. Now, when he does that, he does that through those who know Jesus Christ as their Savior. That's key. The reason being is now you have the Spirit of God in you that could understand the Word of God as it was given by the Son of God or God Himself to us. So that's the illumination. And let me give you some cautions about illumination. Just because we have the ability now to understand this, that doesn't mean we're going to understand all of the Bible without certain teachers. He gives the Holy Spirit. He's given teachers that are gifted. He also tells us to understand Scripture. It's going to require study. That's why in Scripture it says study to show thyself approved in other verses to get into this. Another important truth is that all the illumination that he gives us of the Word, we still will not ever be able to plummet the entire depths of the knowledge of the Word. He will give us illumination, but the Word is so rich, it is so deep, we'll never fully understand it. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says that there are secret things that belong to the Lord, and the things that he wants us to know he will reveal. That's why you have today certain theological tensions that have been around for Hundreds and hundreds of years that haven't been totally resolved yet as men is getting further along in their illumination and understanding of it. Now, why am I telling you all of this? I want you to know that as the Lord was now revealing himself 
through Christ, as he was now putting the words in the hearts of these people, as they would write it, they were now writing this as it was breathed from the Lord, putting their personality. It is now all in Scripture, so it was all given then. So now, what do we do today? That was for those men, and I can rest upon them, who especially were the ones used to write the New Testament Scriptures. So here are how we interpret that for today, especially when you're going through times of, of stress. The Word of God is still the Word of God. Whether He gave the Word to these guys and then they get it, gave it to us by documenting it and we see all the copies, we see the accuracy of it, etc., it is still God's Word. I wish I had an entire sermon time to tell you just the value of when God breathes His supernatural Word out. When He speaks His Word, even the dry bones come to life, Scripture says. So that being the case, this Word is so powerful. So those of you, the first step is, is you need to trust Christ as your Savior. At least recognize the fact that this is God's mind on paper. In it we read that Jesus is the Lord, that He died on the cross. He rose again from the dead. It's not by good works, it's by faith alone. We know the truth. All right, now we place our faith in Christ. So now the Spirit comes inside of us so we can begin to know the Word. So those of you that are going through troubled times, all I want you to know is you can trust this book here as being infallible, and sufficient for what God wants us to know. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. Thank you.